Okay, and with that, we'll do a very swift and a quick pivot, and we'll turn to Yuga Kopla. He is a member of parliament and um, has been immersed for many decades in uh, national security policy. Welcome. Good evening. Thank you for the invitation to come here, and it was very interesting to listen listen to AG's story and him answering the questions to, to get real first-hand information about the battlefield from Ukraine. And I'm, I'm glad that I was able to uh, listen to that because I didn't know about this network before you invited me here. So, so very, very nice to be here. Thank you. Well, we should all be thankful to our friend, uh, say, joint friend Miku, who was so kind as to say, build the bridge to you and highlight that uh, you have a long-standing experience in national security matters in Finland. Maybe you can say a few words as to what you've been doing and what brings a man from Lappen Ranta to us today. <laughs> okay, thanks. Yeah, I'm a guy from Lappen Ranta, as you said. Uh, Lappen Ranta is a city which it's, it's on the Russian border in the southeastern Finland and and uh, I'm 55, um, Master of Science in Industrial Economics, and I used to be an entrepreneur for 26 years. I sold my company this January. Uh, alongside of being an entrepreneur, I, I've uh, been in, in politics for uh, maybe maybe a too long time. I, I was first elected in La Peranta City Council in 1996, and after that, I've been in politics all the time, and uh, also in the Finnish parliament. It's my 11th year, my third parliamentary term at the moment. Uh, I'm, I'm a member of the defense committee in the parliament at the moment, uh, and on previous parliamentary terms, I used to be in the voluntary defense organization's steering group for eight years, last four years of, of the them as uh, the vice chair and so uh, I've had a, a good uh, view in the ways, way the Finnish uh, comprehens comprehensive security is being, being implemented in our country during the years and especially today. I have some background in the in Russia. My father was, was an army officer and in the, in the end of the 70, 1970s, so many decades ago, he, we lived four years in Moscow. It was the Soviet Union time. My father was working in the Finnish embassy as the military attaché. And, and as I, I was a teenager, a preteen and teenager, and I had a chance to live four years over there and experience firsthand what communism does to people. And I can say you tell you that it's not very good. So that's that's the kind of guy I am, am, and of course we had a very interesting spring here, also in Finland, after the war broke out, uh, the whole Finnish, let's say, foreign policy principles went went upside down, and we had to formulate our stance altogether in a new way. And one one of these new new stances is that. Actually, very quickly, Finland decided to apply for NATO membership. And this is kind of a, should I say, a miracle, because before uh, before this spring, we, of course, always have been discussing about this possibility. And we had a construct called a NATO option. It's a political construct, which, me which meant that 
we're not applying for NATO membership at the moment, but if need be, we will apply it. <laughs> and uh, only politics can come up with something like that. Anyways, uh, the most people in Finland, and especially definitely most parliamentar parliamentarians, thought before the Russian attack on February that we don't need to apply for NATO membership in foreseeable future. However, my party had been keep, keeping up this discussion for several years. We've decided 15 years ago that it's definite that Finland should apply for NATO. And uh, when the people in Finland, uh, the support for NATO membership in February, before the attack on February was something like 30 percent, uh, on the 28 polls in February, I mean, pub published on the 28th of February, the support for NATO membership was already 58%, and it's keeping been keeping rising, and I, I think now we're closing about 90% support for NATO membership. And also... Yuka, Yuka, yeah. does, the, does the revelation of genocide and castrating Ukrainian soldiers, does that resonate with Finns? Do they internalize it and say... And I apologize for interrupting. Does it turn and say, "Wow, that 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 very well could be us"? I mean, Russia invaded us once; it took Karelia. Is that something that Ukrainians think about, or is it more esoteric? Is it more, well, we just don't want to get invaded in the long run, or is it personal for the Finns? I'm so interested. Yeah, I think it is because, uh, uh, of course, uh, the especially in the Second World War, uh, the Russian had a units called desants desanti in in russian and which are so, sort of paratroopers that are dropped behind en enemy lines and in this in finland's case they were dropped in northern finland in the villages and close to close to areas where people live and they they're these desants desanti they or guerrillas or whatever uh attacked uh mainly civilian people killing killing women children doing exactly the same thing they're doing in ukraine at the moment and of course in the soviet union and i assume in present-day russia these these uh, so-called soldiers are treated as heroes but actual actually they are war criminals and of course uh, after the peace made with soviet union after the war uh, all this was sort of forgotten and not much discussed more more in the in the society of course anyone who was interested in could dig in and find out that these kind of things happen and now when the uh, news from the <clears throat> ukraine from example butcha and stuff like that started to come uh, Finns could very easily relate to these these events in the second world war in northern finland and, thank you for that yeah Appreciate and for example for example my my father he he retired as a general lieutenant from the finnish army he's 82 years old now but God he's very him. yes very active and follows this this war very closely and when the russians attacked and the first discussions about how west should aid ukraine started to emerge he he said that we should do as much as we can, as fast as we can, because uh, we, the Russians will fight this war so dirty that the West cannot simply cannot watch it. So it will go dirty. And he said, he said, uh, so in right in February he could he said that the Russian army 
they always fight like that. They kill women, children, uh, civilian lives don't matter at all. Civilian infrastructure, no value at all. Just destroy everything. You know, so, you, you know, you so have, when when, yeah. when Ina Ina was here, she said, you know, Ukraine is fighting the second biggest army in the world. I wanted to interrupt her, but I couldn't. Yeah. I wanted to interrupt her and say that they're fighting the second biggest army in the world, but the first army in the world that has no morals. The first army yeah. in the world that murdered children and, and babies and and raped them. I mean, these are these. It's almost like imagine if you said create the most dystopian people in the world, and then here you yeah. are, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the impression I've got too. But of course, I have no first-hand experience from Ukraine, and in that sense, it was very nice to hear to AJ's uh, what AJ said and other other uh, stories about from those people who are, have been there. And to these these, of course, Twitter and and all the other accounts that report actual news and happenings from Ukraine are very valuable for us in Finland too. No, let's okay. let's go to CJ briefly. I have a ton of questions for you, Yuka, but let's go with <laughs> CJ because he just joined us. If I, if I may, you know something I've been asking a lot of. Um, we've been very lucky to have a lot of uh, Swedish, Finnish, and Norwegian parliamentarians the last few days, so we're really happy you're here. My question is about NATO and, and aid for Ukraine. You know, as um, as we all know here in the space, you guys have have really gone above and beyond to give um, a lot of critical aid to Ukraine, even though it's been done under secrecy. So I guess my question is, with um, you know the eventual ascension being hopefully pretty close here, do you think the amount of aid that Finland will give will be um, increased, the same, more public, or, or pretty much the same as it is now? Uh, I think that um, well, uh, we started with first, first uh, by by I think giving giving out stuff that we cannot use ourselves, but we knew that Ukraine can use. Of course, uh, uh, all, all that's being already given out, and now we're sending new equipment. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't I don't know exact de- details uh, what's been sent each time. Uh, we do get reports about those, but they're not public, of course. But uh, I think that uh, we have to keep on a steady flow of aid to Ukraine in, from Finland, from Sweden, from every country, because this uh, uh, giving enough ammunition, supplies, spare parts, etc., that's the key to winning this war for Ukraine. Speed and momentum. Uh, I liked it when you quoted your father. My mother is in 1942. And uh, she said very clearly, whilst obviously um, she only has very early uh, memories from the days when her father returned from the war. And don't forget, this is a German army, so they were beaten and beaten for good and they fought for the wrong cause. But still, Uh, he had survived six years of it, and she was obviously very glad as a child to have him back alive, which is what is the key, actually, to seize the conflict and get people back alive. But in this case, it's an existential threat. Mm-hmm. My mother said, just like your father, we should pull out all the stops. I'm paraphrasing because she said it in Frisian, but we should have pulled out all the stops. We should deliver Germans, all tanks, every artillery gun, we can spare because we're not shooting at Denmark at the moment, are we? And uh, whatever we can actually hand over 
should be a new Ukraine. And mm. we should not wait a single day. Because if we do not win this fight together, we lose everything. Yep, that's exactly so, I believe, personally so too, because uh, Russia will not be stop, stopped un until it, it is stopped and repelled and turned put back to Russia. Uh, and uh, to that, Ukraine needs lots of equipment and ammunition. Uh, when we if we speak about our mothers, uh, grandmothers and fathers, and I have an anecdote from my grandfather who was uh, fighting in the Second World War against Soviet Union. He was an operations officer, officer in, in the division level. And when the day of the uh, final peace uh, or truce came uh, and they they stopped shooting it was it was um, agreed that at 12 at noon fin Finns will stop shooting and at one o'clock Russians will stop shooting so they kept kept uh, the ar artillery fire uh, one hour longer than uh, going than than the Finns and uh, when when the It came became one o'clock. He wrote this in his memoirs that we we came from the out from the cave and and listened when the Russians stopped uh, uh, firing their artillery, and it was about time because we had no more ammunition left. So it was kind of kind of like the last chance to stop stop uh, uh, to make make peace at that time, and that that tells us that the ammunition equipment and steady flow of aid to Ukraine is absolutely vital in winning for Ukraine to win this war. And and alongside when Ukraine is winning this war, we have to remind ourselves that Ukraine is fighting for all of us who believe in free democracy, freedom and, and humanity in general, as we heard in AJ's speech also. Now, Finland has let's switch gears a little mm -hmm. finland has 1340 plus something kilometers of a border with mordor sorry the russian empire sorry the russian yeah. federation yeah this is added to what is the current eastern flank of nato plus mm -hmm. of course ukraine How does Finland see that border? You're in Latvia, which is most people in the world may not know it, which is a pity because they should really eat a vetu and they should enjoy yeah. the wonderful space. But um, Latvia has been the center of interest for Russian tourists, shopping uh, tourists and the likes for the past two decades. Mm -hmm. It built heavily on this. And at yes. the same time, nobody was really ever comfortable. Yeah. How did that now change the mindset? Yeah, that's a that's a very very interesting interesting um, set of questions. That, of course, the long border with Russia. I have to say that uh, after the Second World War, uh, the border itself and the operations with Finnish border guards and Russian border guards uh, have worked seamlessly and very well. There there actually haven't been any no problems at all with Russians when, when guarding the mutual border between our countries. And to that, I have to even, even in this, this moment say kudos to Russian border service that they are doing their work professionally and without mixing politics into this. Of course, there's, every once in a while there's some, someone who, who tries to 
illegally cross the border or, or do something like that. And the the uh, our our border border guards guards command they tell us that the the, the uh, cooperation with Russia when catching these people works very well and very professionally. But um, and then then if we come to Lapperanta, my my home house is like something like 35 kilometers from the Russian border at the moment, and I'm sitting here at the yard uh, and the during the last last let's say 30 years ever since the soviet union collapsed and people from russia could travel freely to west uh, our our town has been one of the places where, where where they come to shop buy things and spend vacation and stuff like that and uh, at one moment we have we're, we're a town like uh, a little less than 80000 people uh at one moment, there was something like 2,000, 3,000 visiting Russians in La Peranta every day when the, the, it was the highest peak in the tourism. And of course, this has been uh, been a major source of prosperity to some, some uh, people and people have been getting jobs and so forth. And we have lots of uh, stores and uh, economical activity here that we wouldn't otherwise have. But... Um, uh after the 2014 when russia started the war with ukraine and, and uh, attacked crimea and donbas and those regions and the eu sanctions started to dig in this uh tourism has been on decline and uh, when the covid-19 pandemic hit us it stopped completely so after, should I say, March 2020, there hasn't been a single Russian tourist in Finland or in Lappeenranta at all until this July when the border opened once again. Now, my stance on this has been previously, of course, that I thought that, and I myself believed that the more people uh, travel across the border, more people meet each other, the more there's commerce, more there's trade, ideas cross the border, the better, because it will make better, the world a better place. But uh, that's that. I think in today's view, that was kind of naive, because um, I don't believe believe it does, does work with Russia anymore like that. And um, uh, it's sort of... Uh, Hard, hard to watch at the moment. Those Russians uh, coming here buying cheese and stuff they don't have at their own country, mm-hmm. and uh, sitting and sitting at the marina drinking and uh, yep. making comments which are slightly inappropriate. Yes, exactly, and uh, that's that's uh, that's why I have a st- strong stance that Finland should uh, stop issuing tourist visas to Russians at this moment. Go go along with uh, Estonia. Latvia, Lithuania, who have already ruled out so, and of course Finland should uh, try to influence European Union to make a general rule that uh, during the war, no Russian tourism tourism to European Union or Schengen area is allowed, and this would be be a good message to Russian people, but especially it would be a message to Russian leadership that uh, we draw the line and we stand firmly behind it uh, but 
in in locally in Lappeenranta, of course, this decline in tourism has been causing some unemployment. Uh, some people, to my astonishment, uh, are are sad that Russians can't come here. I have to admit, we have people like that, but they have maybe they have more selfish interest in this matter. But um, we've been we've been taking a hit here because of this. But uh, I say, as I said in, in in some speech, we when I was addressing the our staff in the regional. Uh, uh, office and, and and people over there that uh, when we if we pay the can we pay the price for for this war and everybody pays price for the for war and if we can pay it with money instead of human lives let's pay it with the money so we lose but so be it we we will stand it and we will be united with Ukraine or stand with Ukraine too and. Um, uh, help Ukraine to win this war, and 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 there's a price for it, but there's always a price when you keep your ground. You could you yeah. could say that freedom and dignity are priceless. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say ninety-five uh, percent or almost hundred percent here. After all, are, are thinking that uh, Ukraine should not give up, uh, not even start negotiating about giving up any territory because uh, once they do it, it's it's permanently gone. And uh, people here remember, uh, of course, giving up some parts of Finland uh, 80 years ago. And uh, there are still some, some uh, wounds b because of that. And, and uh, uh, people, all those kind of rashes have come, come up, come up to knowledge uh, after this war escalated that uh, people here relate to Ukraine's uh, situation very closely. Jukka, uh, it's a real pleasure to, uh, to hear you speak on this space. Thanks. So uh, one thing I was, uh, I was interested in asking you is that um, uh, you, you already uh, kind of um, dovetailed a bit to my question about uh, the West's uh, preparedness, uh, essentially in a, in a material war to... Uh, spool up its uh, considerable uh, capacity to uh, uh, build arms and uh, arm arm Ukraine and also arm itself. But uh, I was wondering if you could go into a bit more detail about um, what Finland specifically uh, can contribute to the arsenal of democracy without obviously going into any national security uh, issues. But uh, we do have uh, quite a nice... Uh, defense uh, defensive industry ourselves yeah that's true uh, I think the Finnish uh, ammunition for example is state-of-the-art the Lapua Sako uh, ammunition is, is in the in the are the best in the world I think and um, I think that for example this kind of ammunition we, we could provide in a steady flow to Ukraine, uh, I think that we have have a huge amount. For example, uh, assault rifles and uh, ammunition to them from China, which are s somewhat old, but they are they are um, 
not not used by the Finnish military. I don't know, maybe some of this has been delivered already to Ukraine, but actually we could give all of them over there because uh, the Finnish Finnish uh, army has has different different uh, different guns and set up for the for plans how to how to arm on the shoulders and um, of course uh, we we i think that we have a good uh, uh, manuf- manufacturing manufacturing of the the what are those armor armored personal carriers like pasi the the patria patria yes yes patria the, the those uh, vehicle vehicles armored vehicle vehicles that uh, could be given to Ukraine and produced and given given if if there's just uh, time to make them and, and deliver them but I think those vehicles could be of great use in Ukraine at the moment excellent We... and sorry yeah that's okay no, it's a very good point Antti and uh, Yuka because in the package uh, just uh, released by the United States There is 50 armored vehicles which are capable to be used uh, in proper combat to retrieve those who have been wounded and make sure that fewer um, wounds turn to KIA. Finland has very, very good capacity in that regard. Will we be seeing more material coming from Finland in that regard? Sorry, can you repeat the question? Finland has a lot of uh, good, um, say, APCs and vehicles yep. available which could be provided which are very very good for bad terrain and the likes and even winter war um, would we be seeing more of those being brought to Ukraine uh, that's a, definitely a suggestion we should make but of course these uh, eight packages are prepared in very deep secrecy and in defense committee of course we we get information about them but uh, We don't know. I, I'm not in in the process. A member in the process uh, making making those packages. But this is uh, actually something that I could um, I could uh, raise up a question with the defense minister Kaikkonen, who is very very uh, in a good way uh, preparing these packages. So so I'll, I'll put this idea forward that those vehicles should be included in in the future aid packages. Yeah, I was always impressed by uh, what uh, the Finnish armed forces were doing in their maneuvers and that you had, that uh, they took real good care of their soldiers. So taking care of the wounded in battle, mm-hmm. especially when people are under indirect fire, is absolutely vital. And we've heard it now many times how important it is. Um, I think, uh, Antti, you had a follow-up? Yes, uh, if I may, uh, uh, Finland was a very uh, rare case uh, in, in the in the way that we never quite uh, got rid of the whole concept of uh, keeping the abilities to uh, to successfully uh, fight a conventional war, a material war, and uh, related, related to that, we actually also uh, have. Uh, been maintaining uh, this uh, idea of uh, comprehensively comprehensive preparedness uh, that encompasses the entire society and that uh, that still 
something that seems to be quite foreign uh, in many countries um, in in Europe. So I was wondering if you could uh, speak a little about uh, what it means uh, that the the entire society is uh, uh, is is prepared. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a large question or set of questions, but. I'd say that first of all, the basis basis in our defense system is the general conscription system. So every Finnish male is required to go to the army or and receive some sort of training. It it ranges from I I think from six to twelve months. The basic training. Some are trained as as uh, crew crew members or or soldiers, and some 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 of them leaders and. Uh, specialists and so forth, and then these people who have have been in the army, uh, women can go go to the army too, but it's it's not required. They are volunteer, voluntarily can go, and then uh, these people who have have uh, been in the army form the reserve, and uh, from the from the reserve we we call in in case needed we can call uh, something like two hundred and eighty thousand. Uh, soldiers at the moment that's the official public figure uh, for the first line combat troops and and that's kind of the forms the basics basis of the Finnish armed forces and if you are sort of uh, uh, questioning the uh, how how good is the reserve system I could tell you for example that uh, last winter, our reserve uh, conscript, conscripts were were uh, in a rehearsal in uh, Norway, and they were uh, in the uh, in the maneuvers. They were fighting against U.S. Special Forces unit, and they wiped out the U.S. Special Forces unit completely in that uh, war game in the field. So, so. They are people are very capable, even if I say so myself. Now, this uh, this so that this uh, reserve and this reserve army could work, it needs the support of the whole society, and that's why we have this uh, concept of comprehensive security. It means that actually uh, we have we have been uh, planning. Uh, on the na- nationwide level, by secure our security committee, a, a system that uh, in all different industries, uh, government uh, bodies, so forth, they have been uh, planning beforehand what is their role and how they operate in case of war, and who who does what, uh, and who is in resp- who is responsible of different things and and um, so forth, and this. Uh, uh, is called is uh, called the uh, they they use the expression security diamond. So all the corners of the diamond are connected to that to each other, and they they communicate, uh, share information, and um, this way make this country operable uh, in in crisis, and make it possible to support the uh, large field army we have. And uh, alongside of this, this, uh, these uh, preparing preparedness features, we have the uh, so-called emergency supply organization, uh, which 
plans what we need for uh, uh, for for crises like fuel, ammunition, energy, uh, medical supplies, and so forth. And they plan beforehand who will uh, make uh, emergency stockpiles beforehand. And they, some companies, for example, are paid to keep up energy stockpiles for, for gas. Uh, medical companies are require, required to have a uh, emergency stockpile of uh, medication and so forth. And all this, uh, this uh, together put up put together uh, makes up the comprehensive security system we have here in Finland. Thank you so much, Jukka. I hope Very this answers your question. Miko, welcome. Hey, Jukka, thanks, thanks for coming here, and you know, we know each other. So, <clears throat> I need to meet you, by the way, in Lappeenrannan or something. Yeah. Hey, couple of things I noticed, and when you discussed with Antti Kaikkonen, who is our defense ministry, and I've been following this space, and a little bit, uh, you know, what, what the people have been saying, especially people in the front lines, is that they have a lot of drones over them. And the camouflage is not at the level they like to have it. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm, I'm, I'm seeing two ways of camouflage. So personal camouflage, like, you know, recon, recons, recon teams, you know, the pillar suits, plus, plus camouflaging, camouflaging the artillery, etc. you know, the ammo positions, etc. So, and, and, you know, the winter is coming, right, for Ukraine mm-hmm. as well. So, so we have a lot of, actually good stuff with camouflaging and you know I know some Finnish trainers are now in, in the UK helping out so camouflaging is something we could actually train and send gear and and, and especially for the winter war you know which is coming soon and and then another topic I would like to bring what what actually was mentioned was the patria patria vehicles mm-hmm. that 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 the medical ev- evacuations have been very difficult because they don't have the protection, you know, armored protection, you know, getting the people out of the front lines. And of course, they can, they can bring, bring people to the front lines. So definitely APCs and, and a battery of vehicles. And, but I, I would definitely, you know, raise up the camouflage things because I have been talking with Emily Kastehelmik, who might actually come here as a military analyst to speak. So if you can a little bit raise that up with Antti Kaikkonen, so, you know, Antti's a good guy. And this Antti in, in our space as well, but basically our defense minister. So. Thanks for that, Jukka, and uh, good job. Yeah, thanks, Mikko. This is uh, very good to hear, and this camouflage idea is a very interesting. I will definitely uh, discuss with about this with Minister Kaikkonen, and, and um, uh, it's especially interesting is is that the I think we we could quickly produce uh, good quality camouflage uh, suits and and nettings and stuff and send them to Ukraine and and uh, uh, very very good idea thank you Mikko much appreciated right. and shall we go to yes. Scandinavia and then to Nina yeah more Finns terve Jukka kuuluuko kuuluu terve yeah so thanks for uh, joining the space I much appreciate uh, you you being here uh, I actually have kind of two questions and try to probe How surprised were you with these two things? Um, the first thing, which may not be so surprising, but you know, once once uh, 
the pooch hit the fan, so to say, um, and and we, as a country, decided to apply for NATO membership. Uh, I was, to a degree, not completely surprised, but somewhat surprised by the fact that all political parties, despite uh, the few uninformed or silly voices, um, is very unanimous also in the political uh, and in the parliament. And uh, uh, were you at all su- by, surprised by that, that it, it was so swift and uh, taking time to turn heads, you know, took a millisecond. Uh, and the second question, and, and again, uh, if, if this is uh, national security matters, you don't need to answer. But the other thing, which I've been a little bit surprised, <clears throat> is the fact that our borders have been so quiet. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, but I also know at the same time that uh, in Finland the real uh, thing or has the borders and our airspace truly been as quiet as it seems to have been. Thanks. Okay. Yes. Well, I had to write this down. Yes. Uh, first of all, the the uh, uh, NATO process in in the Parliament. Uh, I first I thought that okay this is mission impossible or let's see what happens uh, how will we we get enough support and um, I was wondering we were discussing in our our party group that what is the uh, reason reasonable level of support this uh, NATO membership could get and how much would we need for it to succeed and how how should we drive this forward so pretty soon that uh, when when we we ourselves decided that we we will uh, try to uh, influence our colleagues in the parliament in this matter and uh, the uh, parliament decided to start making making a report new report about this 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 is the parliamentary way to or orientate itself into a new situation uh, it became to me very clear very quickly, very clear. Actually, I, I'd say I knew in March that Finland is going to apply for NATO membership because I discussed with my colleagues, uh, very many of them, not 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 all 200, but close to that. I, I personally talked to them and made, made a picture for myself about the situation. And I came to the conclusion that uh, most people are just afraid or full of disinformation about NATO that they are uh, opposing it because of that. And uh, when when we got the actual discussion uh, in the society about NATO membership and what it really means going on, people it was easy for people to start turning their heads. And of course, the atrocities that Russia committed in the Ukraine uh, helped to speed up this process. So, so I had to say that the, Mr. Putin and Russian army were the best NATO salesmen, salesmen in this case, because their, their actions uh, were good to show show Finnish parliamentarians what could happen if if uh, you're alone and and under the under attack from Russia. And uh, of course, uh, for politicians who have previously said no to something, to suddenly start saying yes, it's a difficult process. So we we just needed to get get people time and space, give, give people time and space to uh, turn up their minds. And some some people uh, or one one way to change their mind 
was that the nobody did it personally. Some did, but from 200 parliamentarians, uh, 188 voted for NATO membership, and that's hist- historically unanimous vote in Finnish parliament. There are not many cases that uh, in actual difficult situations we have been so unanimous. And then uh, I personally spent some time discussing some with some, uh, let's leave the names out of here, but let's say very, very long time left parliamentarians. Uh, I, I discussed with one of, one of those, for example, in, in start of March, and we had a so deep discussion that even at that moment, that person was still against for NATO, I knew myself that, okay, this guy is really thinking about this, and when he finds out all the facts, he's going to change his mind. So I'll, I'll just let the time pass and let the process flow, and he will, he will um, make a new decision by himself, and he actually did. And many, many established, especially left, uh, left-side parliamentarians who have been very pro-Soviet Union, Back in the old days, and pro-Russia uh, voted for for NATO membership, and and that's that's sort of a miracle, and a, I think that's a good sign that those people, in the end of the day, think of Finland more than anything else, and wanted to serve their country in a proper way. And uh, one one uh, reason why the opposition for NATO membership uh, has been so deep in Finland was Russian misinformation because almost all those arguments that were used against NATO membership were not true like you know Finnish conscripts have to be sent then to see uh, some far east to fight US wars that's complete bullshit but many even parliamentarians believed in that and Actually, I was in a TV interview with one of those who, who said, one left-wing parliamentarian said this in TV, and um, that's that's kind of <laughs> sort sort of sad situation that the opposition for NATO has been based on lies for decades in Finland. But uh, anyway, that that um, that has been all cleared now, and uh, now now. Now these people have different views, and we have to be uh, grateful of that and respect those people who could change, who could change their mind in this matter. Okay, then the uh, border situation. As I said, the uh, border uh, is very stable, uh, peace and quiet, peaceful and quietful. Uh, and um, we have to uh, say that the Russian border service, FSB's border wing, does its job very professionally and, and nonchalantly, and uh, there's no fuss and no problems, or have been. Cooperation works very fine. Uh, they, actually, want to live too, they want to live too in future, right? Yeah, I believe so. And, and what increase the, increases the quietness in the border is that the as we have seen in the public uh, uh, news also that many many russian troops that are have been based on the on the other side of the finnish border are now in ukraine and many never come back from there and uh, that increases the step, of course the uh, peacefulness at the moment and the quietness on the border uh, 
we sort of assumed that when we apply the NATO membership that Russia would start harassing us and start some sort of hybrid warfare and cyber attacks, increased cyber attacks and so forth. Uh, there have, have been more cyber attacks in this uh, summer than than usual, but uh, we, at least we haven't seen any signs of hara- other ha- harassing or, or something like that. There's no no airspace violations, at, for example, I don't think none after this, uh, this February attack. Uh, and on the ground border, everything works fine, it's quiet. So uh, maybe it's because uh, one, uh, at this moment and at this time, Russia has nothing against Finland, and especially they have bitten so much, so big a bite in Ukraine that they cannot chew it, and so they don't want any more new troubles with Finland. That's my my analysis on this. Yeah, I, th- I think it's quite right that the logistics capacity of the Russian armed forces is completely exhausted, and that their overall mm. combat effectiveness for those troops once stationed in your area is already diminished to the point that they have absolutely no capacity to threaten mm-hmm. Finland in the next few years. But then again, I'm quite sure that your defense committee will have even better data. So um, I mm-hmm. think we're pretty much on track. And uh, your colleagues in Estonia, as well as NATO troops here in the region, have had the same perception that essentially this is the lowest ever um, threat level along the Baltic states, say from the northern part of Lithuania onwards, now including mm-hmm. you to the whole northern cave since uh, the fall of the Soviet Union. Yeah, it seems so. That's, yeah, correct. All right. We have a question. Uh, Dorman, you wanted to say something in between, and then we go to Nina and Rika after. Thank you, Axel. Uh, thank you very much, Yuka, for joining us. Uh, as you can see, this is an excellent opportunity for all of us to learn how it is uh, in the inner workings of the Finnish parliament. I'm, I, for one, am very grateful to you for making the time. Now, talking about NATO accession, um, back in April, I was kind of worried uh, when uh, Sweden was kind of lagging behind Finland in the decision-making process. Um, but at the end of the day, NATO is all about helping your allies out. Uh, so to ask a little bit of a tendentious question, how much do you think that um, you and the Finnish parliament, uh, the plural <laughs> you, not, not you yourself necessarily, uh, by being so steadfast and so determined so early on and, and, and expressing such a clear majority for joining NATO, how much do you think you helped out your f- Swedish colleagues with making that decision a little bit, bit more expeditiously uh, than it sometimes seemed that they were going to? <laughs> Yeah, I think that it had a t- tremendous effect. Uh, I assume that, of course, uh, the Swedes took the situation uh, seriously, even in February. But, of course, they were not so close to Russia. And this uh, sort of, uh, and, uh, this, uh, uh, sort of uh, the situation maybe it took a little bit more time to sink in in the Swedish uh, society. And I, I believe that even in Sweden it uh, went so that... Uh, the people, the Swedish people, w- would started wanting to join NATO before the politicians did, and uh, when the polls started saying that w- the people want to discuss about joining NATO, then the the vote turned in in f- Swedish parliament and and uh, government. Uh, I also so also wondered what ha- what happened because this change uh, also seemed to happen almost overnight. And uh, it was was a a time 
close to the, those days that many Finnish leaders, for example, Prime Minister Sanna Marin and others visited Sweden. Uh, and I believe our President Niinistö also was in Sweden. And shortly after that, they started talking seriously about joining NATO. And it was the change happened in very short period of time. Uh, maybe history will re once, one day reveal us what actually happened. But uh, I'd, I'd say that maybe it's because they just it took a little longer to sink in what's happening and how how horrible this is the the war Russia has started and is waging in Ukraine and and that the the it has consequences in whole Western world that and that the whole security situation in uh, Europe, especially uh, Gulf of Finland, uh, Finland, Sweden, Northern Europe, Scandinavia has changed permanently. And uh, all I can say, I, I believe that it just took them a little bit more time to realize what we realized immediately in the morning of the 24th of February when they had attacked that, okay, this this is a huge game changer, what's going on. Uh, if I may add one question to this, yeah. um, very briefly, because every, what the best thing Finland and Sweden could do from a Ukrainian perspective was to join NATO, because mm -hmm. it, 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 of course, increases the overall pressure and therefore the posture of free Western societies towards Mordor, sorry, Russia. Yeah. And with that in mind, that support being so vocal, so clear, so determined and so overwhelming in both nations, despite the fact that all this political conundrum, the Finland and the nation, the neutrality of Sweden, the everlasting one, of course, and all of that being swept away by the clear evidence and clarity of the genocide. This, of course, helps Ukraine in one regard. The other thing is that there's significant appreciation of the capacity of both nations, Sweden and Finland, their weapon systems industry, to supply and not be constrained by politics, which is the interesting thing, because the other nations who have bigger weapon systems manufacturing capacity do not supply at this point in time as much. Yes, the Brits do. They are the second largest one in the world. But the other parts, like France, Germany, Italy, are far from supportive as much as they should be. Now, we have seen that um, the Finnish weapons system supplies in your stocks are very good, as we understand, in mortars. They are good in artillery shells. You even have 152s. You have 155s. You have mm -hmm. pretty much everything our friends need. Yes, you need to defend Finland, but as we both agreed a few minutes ago, there's highly likely not so much of an attack coming. Do you think that Finland will be able to provide more mortar, more artillery shells, and more support in that regard also to our friends? And what do you think of our Swedish friends with their very specific capability? Well, I I surely hope that we can help, and we we produce those artillery shells in Finland. So, just it, we need to crank up the production, and actually, uh, I think we have have done so. So, I hope that we can provide uh, ammunition in the future too. I also have wondered a lot, actually, uh, why why Germany and France uh, have this attitude that um, they're kind of hesitant to help Ukraine. And I surely hope that they, they could improve, get some improvements in this because 
they it would be a tremendous help and actually they, it could change the course of war if they would start providing in full the cap- more capabilities for Ukraine because they have so huge stockpiles and reserves over there that it would actually maybe change the course of war immediately if, if it's German tanks and ammunition weapon systems started arriving in the battlefield. But maybe there are historical reasons or what, whatever, but I'm, I'm very much wondering why this has not happened already, because uh, I think that they should realize in France and Italy and uh, Germany that Ukraine really is fighting for all of us now. Which begs the question, I mean, if there's any historical consequence or any any logic you can derive from what we've experienced in history, Germany could for the first time since 1914 stand on the right side of history if it mm-hmm. were to do the right thing now. And I don't think that anybody could care less other than, of course, the Russians if they were to see a leopard twos coming towards them. I think it would actually be a testament to freedom and that Germany, mm-hmm. Germany has grown up to support freedom and defend freedom where it is under attack, if it were to do so. Yep, exactly like this. But um, I, I don't know what kind of ties there are with Germans and for example, Germans and Russia, and of course they have been very dependent and actually are still of Russian energy. And uh, they all these things are tied together. And uh, but st- I still wonder why this this um, dependence on Russian energy would lead to such uh, not loyalty, but but uh, unegerness to help Ukraine. Uh, and especially what I'm mostly wondering is that some some people in in Central Europe are saying that they sh- should not the West should stop uh, providing arms to Ukraine completely so that the world world war would end faster. That would be a disaster and very horrible scenario if this happened. Of course, fully agreed, 100%. We had questions from Nina, I... who had her hand up before. Sorry, Domen, yes, please. Thank you so much, Axel. I just want to jump in real quick, since we're talking about the security architecture in, in Europe, um, in, in Germany and France, and their relative lack of action or, or slowness to act uh, in view of the Russian mm-hmm. invasion of Ukraine. There was a lot of talk in uh, recent months, especially months prior to, say, March and April, about a common European army, a change of treaties, a common European uh, command structure for all your EU armed forces. How has um, the German and French kind of slowness to act here changed things in your mind, as well as perhaps other Finnish parliamentary groups? And I'm particularly asking this because at the end of the conference um, for the future of Europe in um, early to mid-May, there was a publication, um, there was a non-paper signed by 13 countries, um, the, all of the Nordic, Baltic countries among them, but also countries like Poland, Czech Republic and Romania, saying that all of these countries are not interested in treaty change, indicating they're not also interested in anything to do with a common European army. Now, I know your party is not in government, but mm. how has um, 
this additionally affected your views perhaps on a future common European army? Well, yeah, I think it's uh, uh, not not very 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 close to happen, but um, we have been sort of before we decided to apply for NATO and before this uh, Russian started war escalated. This was a very uh, interesting topic in Finland, and we people like to discuss about this. Okay, let's not join NATO, but common European army or common European defense system would be great. Okay, if you think about it in an idea level, it should it, it would would be great if Europe had his its own uh, defense system. That would be perfect. So we wouldn't de- be dependent on United States or. Uh, countries outside of Europe or European Union, and European Union as a community uh, uh, could be uh, even more as a uh, uh, powerful when it could really defend itself. But uh, as we see that uh, most of the countries in the EU are already members of NATO, and NATO uh, uh, delivers well, it works well, it's a good system. None, no other countries actually have interest in changing changing the system that already works. It's the old in engineering principle: if it works, don't touch it. So, so I think that's maybe lying in lying in this behind behind this thinking that because uh, because there is already a good defense system called NATO, uh, it's, it would be a waste of effort to start changing it. And I I believe it's it's like this. Now after after Finland decided to join NATO, this uh, uh, discussion has vanished completely. Actually, nobody here talks about uh, European Union's own own defense system. Uh, maybe someday in ten years or or something, it will emerge or it could be an actual option. Who knows? But uh, uh, because the Western world and the NATO uh, NATO community is actually, uh, we are in a crisis, although NATO countries are not in a war. Uh, but the crisis and war is so close in Ukraine that at this moment, starting to build up something new and tearing up the old old stuff, tearing down the old stuff it's not a good idea i i don't think so and i think that here in finland that's the general idea too because uh, as i said uh, that that this discussion topic has completely vanished from from the uh, uh, list of active discussions here in finland nobody there's a value there's a value in existing institutions Yes, that is correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's what people always forget. And before we go to our two questions, it's what people always forget uh, now that Finland, and we had this discussion in uh, back with the other moderators before as to questions, uh, Finland has already very clearly stated that they would not necessarily need a NATO permanent basis because Finland has a very well-functioning, strong army. But um, we have the concept of the NFIUs, the NATO Force Integration Units, which has worked exceptionally well. It was once designed under Mark Hurtling, 
implemented under both Philip Breedlove and with the kind assistance of General Ben Hodges, all friends of the program, and uh, two of whom have been here already, and we hope to see uh, General Breedlove soon. <clears throat> but the key thing about this is that the uh, NFIU entities are the ones which tie the different forces of NATO together, rotate people of different rank, soldiers of different rank, supply, uh, logistics, everything all together so that um, they understand each other better, that they work with mm -hmm. each other, that they uh, get a fair and deep understanding of the procedures, rules and regulations, and at the same time get a feel for how the other side actually acts in operations. And I think it's absolutely key that this concept will be transported, and I hope that to see this, I, I know that... Uh, Friends of ours have been recently in meetings with your uh, Finnish forces. They had briefings and they were exceptionally appreciative of the level of preparation the Finnish armed forces have brought to the table. The level of uh, detailed, comprehensive anticipation of what needs doing and what needs integrating in Finland is astonishing. So if there ever was an army ready for it, and I'm not trying to flatter you overly, you know exactly what you have at hand, but if there was ever an army ready to join NATO, then it's Finland, there's no question. Thank you, and, thank you. But we hope that we can bring this know-how to bear for Ukraine, because I think this is absolutely key. The Ukrainian mm -hmm. armed forces uh, have exceptionally good artillery officers already, uh, and they're in combat, but they need to train up thousands of more of those. Now, the Brits have designed their program. Many people are joining. Many nations are joining with individual trainers. The Canadians are sending a few hundred now. We, we aim to see more of that. We would hope that, of course, that the Finnish artillery prowess and mortar prowess could showcase itself also in training the Ukrainian soldiers. What do you think? Is this something likely? Uh, yeah, actually, it was announced today or was it yesterday publicly that Finland is sending uh, personnel to UK to train Ukrainian soldiers. Uh, I don't quite remember how many officers were sent. Was it like 40 or something at this moment? But anyways, uh, we are we are pitching in too in in the training of Ukrainian soldiers. Uh, however, uh, I I have I don't know what is the exact uh, content that they are training there. Is it infantry or ar artillery or what? But I assume that it has been mutually planned with UK and other countries, and we are providing sort of training that that is needed in there, and sort of training that we are good at providing. That's my take on that. All right. Uh, if I may, we'll go through a few more questions, and you will not be surprised to hear that we have Finnish questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we'll start with Nina, then we go to Rika, and then we have Lai Sniper. Mm -hmm. Hello, Jukka, and thank you for coming here, sharing your time and knowledge about these crucially important things about the war in Ukraine. Nimestä huolimatta, niin olen pesun kestävä suomalainen, kuulun pieneen ruotsinkieliseen vähemmistöön. Halusin vain todentaa näille ihmisille, että Suomi on oikea mm -hmm. Hyvä. Okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Kiitoksia. Oliko sulla kysymystä? Oli kysymys, joo. Niin. <laughs> joo. Kiitos, kun huomautit. Panin vahingossa mikrofonin kiinni. I have a question. You, in your introduction, you 
told that you had spent some of the years when you were a teenager in Moscow uh, with your family. And as a teenager, I could think that you, you must have been in, at school then in Moscow. Is that right? Yes, yes, I was. And we had a Finnish school in the embassy. embassy ah, you had a Finnish school. Okay, yeah. I was thinking that... Okay, so that's that's different matter then. But did you get Russian teenager friends or did you see that the mentality already in the 1990s, as I understood you were there at that time, did you see like there were difference in, in, uh, differences in, in how they were thinking about uh, the world in, in general? Thank you. Oh, oh yes, of course, it, it was because, um, first of all, uh, the uh, ordinary Russians were not allowed to socialize with foreigners at that time. And this led to that, to that, that our in, I was very close to the other international community, community and we were, I had lots of American friends and, and friends from different con- countries, Zaire, Congo, uh, Poland, and so forth, but no, not a single, single Russian friend. Uh, at that at that time, uh, of course, we studied Russian language in the school, uh, and and at that time, Moscow was very very safe city. So, as a kids, we could walk and move around the city very freely. I, I traveled to school from my home. It was five kilometers. I traveled with metro alone, or or took a bus alone, or took a bike alone. Uh, to my when I went to school and came back and and uh, also with my buddies, mainly Finnish buddies, we sort of uh, had some adventures around Moscow. We just went went around town and seeing sights and uh, seeing stuff and and sort stuff like that uh, a lot actually and. Um, I was nine years old when I went there, 13 when we came back. Uh, I was, should I say, a very active child. I read a lot, and especially, actually, I read newspapers too, and Finnish newspapers. And one one thing was what was sort of eye-opening for me was that when I read Finnish newspapers that told something about Soviet Union, and how everything is fine, and the yearly harvest is so great, and so forth. And then I look out the win- window in Moscow, and I see people forming a line in the bu- uh, butchery shop. So I could sort of <laughs> conclude that okay, the stories and the reality don't mi- don't uh, meet each other. And even a ten-year-old boy could understand that this system that they have here in Russia and Soviet Union, it, this doesn't work. It's not good for people. Uh, most of all, stores were uh, empty. Uh, if you looked inside a meat store, there was most of the shelves were empty. Uh, if there was was something, there was a line at the store, like 20 meters or 50 meters, uh, and and generally. Uh, Anything you needed wasn't available, and when it was available, you heard about it from the grapevine, and then you knew that, okay, that one store over that street over there, in two kilometers from here, they have some sort of 
new beer or lemonade or whatever. And then people went there and they formed a line and tried to buy it. And alongside of this, uh, they had a system called Berioskas, which are uh, shops for uh, party elite and foreigners. And in those stores was everything. Anything you could imagine in a Western grocery store was there too. And then there were guards at the door who were watching that no ordinary Russian could come in. But only foreigners and party elite members could come in shopping in those stores. So these were kind of lots of other uh, sort of examples exist, but these are good examples that even a fool realizes by by these after these that the system doesn't work and it's not good for human people. Thank you, Yuka. Just a follow-up question: mm. How did it form your view of in your career that you you must have had like more? open eyes than other people who didn't see that. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I'd say that was a permanent vaccination about leftism and communism. I, I, I so, sort of became to realize that communism, socialism, socialism they are they're bad for people. And uh, that was one of the One other reason that I joined politics too to to oppose communism when I why when I started uh, I joined the my national coalition party youth. Uh, it was 1982. I was 15 years old, and then then one of the key reasons was that this is the le- legitimate channel to oppose uh, communism. And actually, I'm on that same path still. Thank you, Kitos. Thanks. Let's move to Rika, and then we go to Lies Sniper, and then to Antti. Rika. Thank you, and nice to see you all here again. And uh, I, I, it is a Finnish invasion, Rika. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I, I mean, I was invited to the space today because I haven't had time to be here that much nowadays, but uh, then Mikko was so kind that he sent me private mail and asked me to come and uh, retweet also uh, this phenomena of today. So, uh, and um, there has been, Jukka Kopra, you said that this was your first time in this Twitter space. But this space has been going on since February, and I don't remember exactly did I start to listen to the space in February or in March, but here has been quite many Finnish people like Nina, Antti, Scandinavia, Mikko and me, who have been active uh, in the space and also we have been keeping on talking here quite often. And I wanted to thank you, Jukka Kopra, for talking in this in this space for the first time. And I hope that you really enjoyed what you hear and uh, what you have been discussing. And um, uh, from what I would like to also say that, uh, as you were saying, that your party has been very active uh, in this NATO membership. So I am from the Green Party. And um, I would say that also big portion of my party have been active working in silence for the NATO membership. 
And um, for example, me, so I have my background in fine arts, economics, and um, in economic geography making uh, oil and gas country analysis for uh, the former Soviet Union area. Mm -hmm. So this is quite of a combination. And uh, it also allows me to understand pretty well what what are the motivations for the, for Russia to to start this war? And yes, so the Greens or some associations under the Greens. So we went to, or I actually took them to NATO headquarters in 2018 to meet people there because. Exactly as you said, so if people do not understand or there has been some kind of a misinformation inside the political parties about what, for example, NATO is, so then they don't have a real picture what it could be also for us Finns. And in some way, I would like to think that that small trip what the Greens for example did in 2018 to Brussels so it kind of placed the seed also for this membership application which happened very quickly this year and what I would like to say also is that if you could invite Finnish members of parliament to this space to talk and to listen and to chat to see what people around the world are saying now and um, I mean here are very many Americans and Canadians, British people but uh, for example my Twitter followers nowadays are totally global they start from uh, Asian countries and they go to Africa also to South America and, of course, Northern America. So, so uh, this is a great space to create networks and have private chats with people who really know what they are talking about. And also Finnish members of parliament should use this space. Thank you. Thank you, Rika, that, for the kind words. Uh, first of all, uh, I have to yeah, say... So it is you that is behind the reasonable approach that Greens had towards this NATO questions. Thank you. <laughs> I We're... can't say so, but I, I am one of those. Yes, yes, good. Well, that's that's very nice to hear. Uh, the Greens had very, very reasonable and patriotic view on this matter very quickly. So so I'm glad that there are reasonable people over there. And this uh, this. Um, Channel, channel or room or uh, Maria report. We are at. It's yes, it's new to me, but very interesting, and I, I'm definitely gonna going to be hanging out here more now. I'm glad to spread the word in the parliament, and I'll try to arrange other speakers here too, because we are all on a good cause, and um, uh, maybe maybe we can that way. Uh, keep up the spirit and start sp spread also the no knowledge and information here in Finland and Finnish parliament too. But this is very, very, uh, I, I think this very valuable uh, media you have been running and what is, what is, what is uh, 
going on, as I understood, nonstop all the time. Yes, and uh, it's it's amazing, I would say, because people work here as volunteers, and Axel mm-hmm. and Domen and uh, um, very many others. So so they seem to work like twenty four seven here. Yeah, and uh, it's really amazing. And what I would like to see as a Finnish person who has been actually living in several countries. But still, I am Finnish. So um, I would like to see Finland to to do more more cooperation with the Baltic, uh, the Baltic countries, and also with the with, with the other northern European countries, because we will all be part of defensive me- mm-hmm. uh, alliance of NATO after after some months or some years. We will see. Yeah, that is definitely important, and I I believe that when the the uh, defense planning in the NATO starts after we have been um, ratified as a member, I think I, I it will be very close. Yes, this is what everybody will need. And, uh, mm-hmm. yep. But Rika, we can see this already. I remember when Rika and I first spoke. This was, I think, it was in early March already. Uh, we first spoke on this uh, on this space, and we discussed how actually uh, Finland belongs into NATO. How Finland's support of Ukraine became evident so quickly, and uh, I think we all have been vouching for this. That uh, and uh, tried to explain how that approach of Northern Europe is so very, very deeply aligned with. Uh, Ukraine's defense, because the values are the same, and they are absolutely at stake, and the understanding of what Russia is to them is the same. With that, I would go to a friend of mine, Lyle Sniper. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Yuka, for coming over here. It's uh, really a pleasure to hear you and and uh, hear your thoughts. Uh, and I, I would just like to add two things to this uh, topic, uh, Ria report first. Uh, this is... Uh, not uh, directly connected, but still affiliated with uh, Maria Aid Org, which is an organization which uh, collects money and donations for non-lethal aid, which is uh, sent to Ukraine. And I would just like to point out it's also on top of this room name, so you might want to have a, have mm-hmm. a peek and, and also spread the news that that's one way of, of supporting Ukraine. And another thing to this Maria report room is that uh, it's not just a, a way to make connections and network, but also, and for, first and foremost, uh, you hear the news first here. <laughs> so basically what you read in the paper the next day, you often have times have the information already here uh, the day before or several hours before. And uh, this is really uh, on the pulse of the, of the time. So to say, and it's uh, if anyone wants to keep track of what's going on in Ukraine, this is a, a nice place to go. It's uh, I must admit we also talk a lot of bullshit and about uh, <laughs> about all sort of off-topic themes. If there isn't anything anything specific going on, but but <laughs> bear with us. It's 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 a nice yeah. place to come. And one one thing what uh, is very important for me. Is uh, and what I would like to uh, ask you to try to raise awareness in the uh, in, also in the parliament um, is the uh, question of the deported Ukrainians because according to the Russian 
data. Three million Ukrainians have been uh, taken mm-hmm. to, to Russia, and more than 300,000 of those are children. And that's a topic which is discussed uh, awfully <laughs> seldom in the press. And I think, I, well, of course, it's more media sexy when some bridge goes boom. But uh, this, uh, and there are tens of thousands, uh, like, casualties on both sides. And, uh, but still, there are three million Ukrainians who have de- been deported and have been tortured on the way and have been uh, forced to give up their Ukrainian passports and forced to take U- uh, Russian citizenship and so on. They are just, it, it's a huge uh, the magnitude of this atrocity is, is just unimaginable. And these three million people should not be forgotten because uh, many of them, or some of them, might have been uh, going to Russia voluntarily, like evacuated. But the strong suspicion is there that most of them are not voluntarily in Russia and would like to come back and to get in contact with their relatives in, in the West. So if this would be uh, a topic for Kirjallinen kysymys, uh, like a written yeah. question to the Finnish parliament, what has Finnish state, uh, what, what are they intending to do about these people and how are they going to act in order to bring these people back and get in contact? And uh, th- this is something I would really like, like you to, to uh, raise awareness about. And that also considers Rika. If you have connections in the, in the green uh, sphere, then, then please do the same, because I think this is some a topic which has been uh, not forgotten by the international press, but and, and of the common uh, awareness. But it's it's uh, I think the three million people is is quite a lot, and uh, I think there they should be somehow taken care of and and uh, they should be helped definitely. Thank you very yes. much. Yeah, excellent point and very good idea. And the uh, actually. Now, when, when I think in it, it, the discussion about this is very rare, and it's kind of uh, uh, sort of uh, astonishing because because uh, the deportation of people, especially children, is a form of genocide, and actually it's a war crime, and uh, this is magnitude: three million people and hundreds of thousands of children. It's a I mean, it's an industrial level of war crime already, and we're—I mean, it's horrible. And uh, definitely, it was good idea. Thanks for the for the tip. I I will I will prepare a written question about this, and uh, let's let's see what the government uh, can say about about this, and how how could we raise more awareness about this. Thank, thank you very much. And if you ha- if you have some some connections in the press or something, when you have when you raise the question in the parliament, then perhaps you might give a hint to the yeah. to the press as well, so that the, it will of get course. some some coverage. Okay, thank of you very course. much. Yeah, that is very much appreciated. We have questions from John Stewart, then Auntie, then Ryan. Yuka, I hope that you are, uh, are as patient as it seems to be, <laughs> because uh, your your attention to the space has given many, many people a first pause, and then now they're all coming out of the woodwork. So, Great. John. Thank you for um, <clears throat> visiting us, uh, Yuka. It's, it's, fun. it's greatly appreciated. And um, we have uh, people from all over the world listening. I'm in Brighton in England at the moment. Uh, all time zones, um, 
all over the world. And I wondered, that just as a finished politician, if with your own particular experience and history, your personal history with Russia, is there anything you could share or anything that you, you've experienced in your life that encapsulates your country's particular relationship to, uh, to that country? Because here in the United Kingdom, I don't think many people fully understand um, how it feels to be in your shoes. And it would be nice to have something that I could say to people inspired by yourself. Well, yeah, um, of course, uh, back in the time before this escalation or, or war, uh, Finland had to be very careful with the Russia because we lost the war, Second World War, to them and the uh, terms of the peace treaty were w very strict and it had some limitation to our defense capability and and uh, uh, other other uh, other limitations too but uh, anyway we survived as a democracy as a free country but we had a uh, sort of unpleasant phenomena in Finland, Finnish politics in like 60s, 70s, early 80s, that the uh, some Finnish politicians started to suck up to Soviet Union too much, wanted to be be uh, too too friendly and in hope to get political advantage in Finland, and sort of um, actually I believe some other countries suffered from this too. Uh, and it was sort of called Finlandization in that sense that we, we didn't want to irritate the neighbor at that time, which that at that time was very aggressive too. And we managed to keep the peace and quiet and everything was in order. But uh, in what, some sense in Finland, we have a problem that, uh, that, uh, that, that phenomena of of uh, pleasing the Russia too much to get gain personal advantage in politics hasn't been discussed openly. Uh, some of it, yes, has been sort of diffused, but not not all all of those uh, things what happened at th that time, and uh, that kind of has has laid a shade in Finnish politics up to present days too. So we have some politicians still in parliament who have, have sort of made their prime career at the Soviet Union time and they're still sort of singing on, on the same tune and uh, and uh, that has uh, had effect in Finnish politics. So I think that the uh, uh, in in 2000s, of course, we have been liberating a lot. Uh, uh, the polit politics, to, in in sense of Russia, has been uh, been more open all the time, open and op open all the time, and and more realistic. Uh, and but personally, I feel that the inability to, for example, apply for NATO membership was still a sign that. We are not truly independent from Russia. So people who opposed uh, joining NATO, uh, sort of, in my in my view, 
I think that they thought that, okay, this is a matter that Russia has something to say about. But I don't think so. I don't think Russia, it's a business of Russia at all. And actually, uh, when Finland applied for NATO membership, I think personally that at that time we became truly independent country because we're joining the Western value system. We we show clearly to the world that we want to be on the side of democracy, openness, on the side of humanity. And it's our business to decide whose side we are on and what we do. And I believe that uh, this... this uh, uh, Personally, I think think it that way, but I believe that many other people think think like that too. And in when when few years go forward, this this spring will be seen in Finland and in history books as a uh, fi- sort of very big uh, change in Finnish uh, self-esteem and and politics too. And uh, this this is a big change, and it's bigger than we think of it as now it is. Thank you, and thank you for having the courage to use the strong words to describe this situation that you did earlier. Not all politicians, certainly in my country, have done that yet. I, I really appreciate that, and thank you for speaking the way you did. And please come back to the space uh, when you're available. Thank you. Thank you. There's a never-ending line of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to, uh, and I wouldn't, you wouldn't believe, but we have more Finns coming. Esko and then Antti. Yes, hello. So it's uh, Esko here. A somewhat leftist guy, uh, but also uh, a paratrooper or airborne ranger by military training or whatever it's called in English. Uh chairman of the Eco-Modernist Society of Finland, mm-hmm. uh, which actually means that I've been uh, been worried about Europe's reliance on uh, Russian energy for a very long time. But uh, my, my main question is that what would be the best way of a regular Finnish person to support Ukraine in your, in your opinion? What What should we do, the regular citizens, if if and as we want to support Ukraine and ensure victory for Ukraine? Well, uh, very good question. But I think one of, one of the threats we have at the moment is that the awareness of the war uh, is is, is uh, lowering, that people get bored to it, and. Uh, That's something that must not happen, and I believe that uh, one one very very important thing you can do or anyone can do is keep talking about this war, bringing it up, uh, reminding about the atrocities Russia Russia is committing, and so forth. And uh, if you have your own uh, MP or you belong to any party group, be it left or right or center or whatever. Uh, be in contact with your politicians and tell them what you think and give them support so that the uh, parliamentarians feel that okay we have the support of citizens to to support Ukraine then then they have the strength to keep it up because there's election coming next April 
and some some politicians may be wondering oh my god what's going to happen to me and so forth so so if they feel that uh the public and their voters are giving them support in supporting ukraine that's giving them give that will then give them strength to do so so that's that's is definitely one important thing now when we think about ukraine uh each of us could could uh, uh donate money if possible or i think i assume that everybody has donated the excess gear they have already and but uh maybe that kind of stuff but uh, i think that the what what actual uh, uh if there's some th- some stuff they would need in ukraine or stuff like that uh we have to ask from those who are there because i don't know what they need but i know that the ukrainian government in finland has a bank account and a, and a channel t- so you can give them be it five euros or hundred euros or thousand euros or whatever you can you can give money for ukraine to to use fighting the war at least these come to mind oh yeah and uh, it, it it was actually quite nice i, I met uh, I, i think five members of parliament in uh, suomi arena the, the, oh, yes. uh, the, the whatever it's called uh, the sort of a semi-political festival in, in summer festival in Finland and, and I, everyone was agreeing that, uh, <laughs> that they are uh, of course supporting Ukraine and are willing to support sending more military aid mm-hmm. to Ukraine. Good. Yes. Yeah. That's 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 good discussion <laughs> to have. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Auntie, before you go on further, just very briefly We can't verify it yet, but there's at least six, if not seven, different notions. We're trying to get it verified by people we know closer to it. But a friend of the program, Chuck Farah, just tweeted out that essentially the U.S. have confirmed that it will immediately send MGM-140 Army tactical missile systems, we call them ATACAMs or ATACAMs to Ukraine. Who? We wow. have no independent verification other than this message and a couple of people who surround the messenger. We're trying to get this out, but it would fit this huge gaping hole in this one billion package. Uh, in terms of its specificity, don't forget the headline figure in the one billion package earlier today highlighted uh, was that it would be high Mars ammunition. Now, the ATACMs are evidently that. Mm-hmm. We will keep you up to date. This was now five minutes ago that it went out. We'll see how this goes. Let's continue. Maybe within the course of the next few minutes, we'll know more. Anti. Uh, thank you, Axel. That was uh, mi- mind-blowingly uh, good news. Uh, I hope we we get uh, verification for that uh, soon. Uh, so, uh, to my question, uh, you got uh, mostly uh, these days uh, for at least well, at least uh, from the beginning of uh, this, this invasion, I've been following this space and uh, 
uh, I found it to be a really excellent source of information, as uh, many of my Finnish uh, core listeners have uh, already verified. But uh, I was wondering, uh, uh, at times I do get the uh, the option, uh, or rather the uh, the ten the I get to listen uh, Finnish uh, news programming on on TV and radio, and uh, even though I, I I get the sense that the quality in general is is still quite good, the uh, Finnish uh, news services do do an do an um, generally good job, but uh, it it sometimes aggravates me to no end that. Uh, uh far too many times the news news begins with uh, russia claims and even though it's made patently clear what uh, what is actually happening there st- still seems to be this um, if you would call a remnant of finlandization that uh, there is a uh, still some lingering effect that uh, it's it's difficult to state some things out loud uh, in in stark uh, terms, uh, what what is your general sense of uh, how the Finnish news media is uh, covering this war? Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I think in general it covers it well, but um, I have made the same notion as you mentioned that uh, some, sometimes it seems that uh, the it kind of kind of the view is from the Russian side or something like that, although. The actual content of the news is pro-Ukrainian, but any, any, nevertheless, uh, it's sometimes I, I get the feeling that when the po- both parties say something like that, the Russia would be more credible, but it's not. But I think that uh, maybe it's because some uh, journalists or news reporters have their whatever personal background personal re- reasons or 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 they just are like that they that they cannot cannot see the picture in full and understand that the what what's going on and that produces results like this but i'd say that in general the news are neutral and and uh, not biased at least not towards russia i think but um also uh i think that uh they they are a little bit superficial in some sense that i don't know if we get the real uh image of, about the battlefield what's going on uh, how hard it is to fight back for the ukrainians in their uh, from the Finnish news, because uh, when you read international news sources and other other uh, other uh, agencies' reports, you get much deeper impression and understanding how how the situation is there. And in that sense, sense I think that Finnish media sometimes gives a too positive uh uh view on, on of the ukrainian success too because and that's a that's a trap because we we shouldn't fall into that that thinking that everything's going smoothly for the ukraine for ukraine over there because um one day one day we'll f- uh, kick back then and i'd say that we should everybody should be very critical with our sources use as many different sources as possible uh, at least on the western side 
outside and definitely in Finland not to rely only on Finnish newspapers and Finnish news sources but read BBC and other other bigger agencies too. Thank you. Thank you, Yuka. Uh, let's go to Nina. Uh, thank you, Domen. About the Finnish media and media in general in the world, I have seen the same thing as you have talked now and as anti raised also. And I have been really worried about uh, the Finnish media, especially Helsingin Sanomat, who are referring to sources like Interfax and TASS and even Reuters have been spreading this information. And such as, for example, the Arrows 22 rehearsal that was in north of uh, Norway in, in the winter, Reuters showed like uh, video and pictures of tanks that were stuck up on uh, train cars and said that these tanks are going now, these Finnish tanks are now going to the Russian border. And uh, it took five five weeks, I counted, for them to correct uh, the the news, the Reuters, and it's still there, up there. So hmm. we we really need to be very critical and also check the sources always. And unfortunately, there are some international media that are really not reliable. So we are in a difficult situation when we read news and we have to be like the second check everything. And, and the good thing is here about Maria Report is that we get fresh and reliable news here. So... I am really grateful for this space and 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 thank you Yuka for being here. Thank you. I agree and I definitely start listening to this space when I drive driving my car because I I drive between Lappeenranta and Helsinki all the time. It's 225 kilometers and two and a half hour drive so so now I know what I'm doing when I drive drive over there. I'm listening and having good discussions. I'm very glad to hear that. Um, incidentally, we actually have a Norwegian member of parliament uh, from Høre who uh, listens to us quite a lot. So maybe we'll now have two uh, Fenoscandian okay. MPs <laughs> who listen to us. Uh, he's been listening to us since at least April, if not March, uh, most days. Um, can, can I just ask you a very specific question about sanctions against Russia? Would that be all right? Yes, of course. So... <laughs> On the 26th of July, the European Union clarified sanctions regarding aircraft spare parts and aircraft technology, primarily aimed at um, commercial airliners and, and the like. And they basically said that they're easing the restrictive measures. They are loosening the sanctions on aircraft spare parts for the Russian aviation sector. This is, of course, important because... Modern airplanes are complicated and they can't fly unless they have a ready supply of spare parts. And the bulk of Aeroflot and other major Russian airlines is Airbus and Boeing. Here, it should be noted that a lot of those fleets are actually leased. And uh, at the outbreak of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, Russian airlines effectively stole, with with the help of their government, hundreds of aircraft worth many billions of dollars uh, from the leasing companies, many of which are based in Ireland, another European Union country. Um, Today, it's been further noted that aviation experts expect that Russians will have to start uh, stripping other aircraft for parts, basically cannibalizing parts of other aircraft, 
to be able to keep at least some of them airworthy um, and that they might be able to keep at least some of them airworthy for the next three years by doing so. My question for you is, what do you think of the loosening of the sanctions on this specific uh, part by the EU? Uh, was this advisable? And would you have recommended doing so were you um, sitting on the council? Yeah, thanks for the information. Actually, I didn't know about this at all. Uh, this sounds not good. I definitely would not loosen the sanctions at all because... Uh, well, we all know why. Uh, instead, we should perhaps uh, increase and develop more sanctions. I don't know what's behind this. Is the Russian industry or are the Russian diplomats so good at lobbying EU that they start to make cracks in our sanctions policy? But this definitely sounds like like sounds like a crack in our otherwise unanimous and united posture but uh, not not a good development and if someone had asked me i wouldn't have approved this loosening up i i thought you'd say as much i thought it was a bit of a you know easy softball question for you um I, it's just the thing that i'm personally quite frustrated with and i, I thought why not why not mention it to you just so mm -hmm. that you're also aware of this yeah um there's another question here that's from actually a European, but not an, not an EU colleague of ours, because he's from Switzerland. Um, and Switzerland, like uh, Finland for now, is not a NATO member, uh, but he's very curious about uh, what you think about the Turkish dealings and what internal discussions there are in Finland uh, with regards to maybe convincing Erdogan um, or, or what convincing Erdogan might need to let Finland into NATO. Yeah, the uh, behavior of Turkey was a surprise for us because, uh, as you have noticed, or anyone who follows the the activities of Finnish uh, government leadership, president and, and ministers, Yuka, I suspect you might have gotten a call. That's how it sounded like, yeah. <laughs> Yuka, welcome back. We suspect you probably got a phone yeah, call. Yeah, I'm back, I think. Yeah, I don't know. My my other headset, it ran out of battery, I think. So. Oh. That's the other reason for muting. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Yuka. Yes. We, we know this. We are, Dorman and I are constantly running out of battery on either the headsets or the phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't have much power in this one either, but let's see how long this will last. So, but I forgot, what was the question? Oh, uh, Turkey. Ah. What, what's your thoughts about Turkey and uh, keeping Finland out? Yeah, the the uh, Turkey was a surprise because the, all the Finnish ministers and government leadership traveled through all the NATO countries during the spring, and uh, they were sort of uh, investigating for the support of Finnish application. And, and Turkey, in every regard and every time. So that they they do not oppose, they welcome Finland to NATO. And uh, in this sense, after we had voted and put in the application, Erdogan after this announced that this, this is not something he likes and he wants to negotiate and so forth. And they will, will not approve. And and you know you know 
And this was a surprise for us. Okay, they solved the situation. Now there's the final rat- ratification from the Turkish parliament. But we all know that it's actually the President Erdogan who will make the decision. And, and um, uh, I don't know what are the topics on the table at this moment or will be at that time that that Turkey will approve the Finnish NATO membership. But I assume that definitely they want to bargain something at that time. And maybe they have uh, serious security concerns and we have to listen to them and find the solutions. Anyway, we, we will be in the same alliance. Uh, but in general, I think that my opini- opinion is that the uh, Finnish membership in NATO is uh, very beneficial to Turkey because our, we are a security provider, not a consumer, and we have a strong strong stance here in the north, and, and we can, in many ways, do positive cooperation with Turkey too in NATO. I couldn't agree more. And there are seven countries still to ratify, um, four of which will be probably very trivial, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Portugal, and Spain. Um, Greece hasn't said anything yet, I don't think. And then uh, Turkey and Hungary might, will probably be the last ones in. Just I, I know you know this. I'm just explaining this for the audience. The other 23 have already ratified the last two in, were the US, Italy, and one before that, France, which ratified them all early last week. Um, we have one more question for you from one of our uh, regular Portuguese contributors. Oh, sorry, Yuka, please. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I thought you had oh, something no, no, else no. To, to, to add there before you go to Spring. Oh, right. One of our most regular Portuguese contributors, uh, Spring. Hi, Yuki. It's a pleasure to listen to you. I have been delighting listening to you. I already asked Nina if we can import you to Portugal because uh, your clarity of thoughts and it's amazing. So we would like very much to import you to the Portuguese politi- politics. Um, I would like very much to ask you, um, what is your opinion about the visas to the Russian citizens in the EU? Thank you very much. And it's a pleasure, really. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, thanks very lot, a lot for the kind words. Um, I think the at this moment, present circumstances, we have to uh, we should restrict the visa policy to, to EU. And I have said this publicly too. Uh, of course, we we would hope that someday uh, everything everybody could travel freely and and thoughts and love and uh, ideas and etc could travel across east across east and west freely but i don't think now is the time this is anyways uh, russia is attacking ukraine is waging a horrible war over there ukraine is a eu membership candidate it will be a eu eu member country one day and we have to show solidarity and support in this sense too, not only the aid we are giving, but but uh, support in this sense that at this moment we should stop the tourism between Russia and EU completely. And just really quickly, bouncing off of that, Yuka, um, it's not just tourism, right? We've heard the stories of Finnish customs routinely having to confiscate 
um, sanctioned uh, materials that that Russians are trying, Russian quote unquote tourists are trying to import back into Russia from Finland after their quote unquote tourism. Uh, be that drones, be that other electronics, be that spare parts for cars, which is a really essential part of the sanctions working, be that anything else. So it, it's not just tourism, right? It, it's this. This is the much more important part. And um, has the has the Finnish uh, border police had to be? Um, you know, enhanced on the Russian-Finnish land border, especially because of that, to be able to cope with this additional pressure of having to actually check cars routinely, all of them for uh, contraband, because you know, for for sanction items. Because otherwise, Finland is inadvertently breaking sanctions it itself imposed and, and signed up to. After all, uh, what I know uh, from public sources, I haven't in few days talked with the customs or border people at the border, officials at the border, but they are very strict and very um, thoroughly investigating uh, people who live Finland towards Russia. And they have confiscated all kinds of stuff. And uh, uh, I think it's uh, they are uh, imposing the sanctions at the border very well. And on top of this, at least... For, for example, uh, many many um, uh, companies in my hometown, Lappeenranta, and in this area, for for example, car dealerships and, and phone companies, they don't sell those those uh, sanctioned materials to Russian customers at all. So they they tell them that no, we're not selling them because you cannot take them out of country. Of course, the Russians can uh, circumvent this by by using someone someone who's not Russian to buy them, uh, buy this stuff for them. But um, I, I, I think that uh, the Finnish customs will, will then at the border be able to, to confiscate this stuff. And I know that lots of stuff has been confiscated at the moment. And, and I'm very glad to hear that because it's, uh, you know, it's very important that uh, they apply the sanctions stringently, and yes. I know that, of course, they would always want to because they are diligent and they're duty bound and dutiful themselves. Uh, I, I just realized that it takes a lot more effort now than it would have previously because it is just much more of a systemic problem now that needs to be addressed. While uh, Russians are still in sizable numbers allowed to visit Finland on quote unquote tourist basis, uh, Life Sniper. Yes, coming to this uh, visa thing, I have. Uh, I'm not the only one who has suggested this, but uh, uh, would it be possible to uh, make an extra fee for not not forbid Russians to come over, but just an extra fee of whatever 100 euros, which the Finnish state would then donate to help Ukraine, and uh, this would uh, basically make it. Uh, not worthwhile coming to Finland in, if you just want to buy some some cheap stuff. And uh, I don't know if it would be even possible to uh, take this kind of fee from from the Finns who go and fill the, fill up their cars on on the Russian side because that's also something what I really would like to be see see being limited somehow. But basically, if if a fee. Of let's say, well, some fee would be be taken like a visa fee, handling fee, 
whatever would be taken from the Russians, then uh, as a side effect, they might also make themselves uh, like criminals in Russia because they, by coming to Finland, they support Ukraine because they donate 100 euros to to, to Ukraine. Just an idea. I don't know if, if, it's, if it's feasible uh, to think anything about uh, in this direction. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Yeah, it's a very good idea. Again, I believe that the Ukrainian ambassador, Mrs. Olga Dibrova, uh, voiced out this su- uh, suggestion a month ago or two, some some time ago when he she was visiting Imatra and Laperanta. Uh, it's a good idea. Uh, if for some reason we're not able to stop the tourism tourism visas, uh, this would be sort of could be sort of Plan B, and it should be done openly so that the on the Russian side people know that okay they are paying money for Ukraine now when they applied for these visas and. As you said, this would produce interesting uh, effects in, in on the Russian side because that would be direct support for Ukraine, and I believe it's illegal in Russia at the moment, or at least <laughs> not liked by the government over there. So it would produce interesting results. But I definitely support this idea. I, we have to study this, uh, and also also understand our government is at the moment investigating these different possibilities to to change the visa policies but we have no answers yet but this is one part of this equation and and very good idea i think i think that the the advantage would be that then finland would not forbid the russians Mm -hmm. to come but basically the russians would probably do it by themselves in order not to support ukraine so thank you Exactly, completely agree with that. And actually, Lai and I discussed this a few days ago in this space where this idea first came. Um, I would just like to note very quickly, I think that there is good legal basis and precedent for this, because if you've ever looked at the complete breakdown of what you all you pay for when you pay for an air ticket, an airplane ticket, right, especially an international one, if you go to the US, one of the line items is going to be US customs border processing you know, $9.50 or whatever. So it's it should be very easy to implement something very similar. Just effectively, it's a, you know, customs immigration checkpoint at a land border as opposed to customs immigration checkpoint in an airport. But but th- there is an existing framework for this, at least in, at least in theory. Um, obviously, giving them receipts in blue and yellow, written in Russian, um, Ukrainian, English and Finnish, what this is for, that, that's, that would just complete the uh, thing, obviously. Uh, big posters everywhere, but you already have those. I, I think it's a fantastic idea. I would go one step further, if I may. Uh, we should also just simply make it harrowingly difficult for them to come in country. Mm-hmm. Apart from deleting any and all visas uh, which uh, are issued to people who cannot demonstrate why they are there for economic for the economic and security benefit of Finland, all tourist visas should be cancelled right away. That's my point of view. Um, there should be absolutely no border traffic as long as Russia is uh, killing, uh, raping and killing eight-month-old babies. That's just not possible. It's just, it's, I think, I consider it unthinkable. And besides that, if and when somebody travels across and wants to travel across with whatever goods purchased, the car should be searched with the same kind of intensity as we would check, or as the Israelis would check, any car crossing into Israel. And I think we know how to do this. Yeah. Thank you. I'm running out of 
battery real soon. Sorry. <laughs> it's also. Shall we go briefly then, uh, stack and rack them, uh, go to Nick and then to Rika? Yeah. On the visa question, I am much more with Axel than with this sort of slightly um, amusing, but I mean, I think impractical idea of charging Russians more. First of all, the fee for a Schengen visa is uh, is a universal fee. It's not uh, determined by each individual country. Um, so the choice to charge Russians slightly more uh, would have to be taken centrally. And I think it would just be silly. I mean, if anything... No, this would be customs processing on the border checkpoint, not... not, okay. not yeah. Okay. Well, well, yeah, again, uh, I think... I, it's all this. This all sounds a bit trivial. It ends up creating moral hazard because you end up raising money for Ukraine by doing it. Uh, I would much prefer to just say, you know, yeah, as Axel says, we'll make it difficult for them. We'll make it difficult for them to get a visa, and and I don't care what they what they pay. I I I, I wouldn't get involved in in trivially, you know, round the edges with the price of the thing. That just that just turns the whole it turns the whole visa system into um a political pawn and then the next thing you into know is Turns it the into next racket. the next thing you know is that somebody is going to want to charge i don't know nigerians 40 euros more because of biafra or something and you never ever end so i would much rather see it taken as a, in a, a much more solemn decision to basically say Russians go away and if you do come like you say we will make things very difficult for you uh, I don't like these low level interventions because I think it um, reduces the barrier for all kinds of other people with access to grind to say oh well yeah what about these people and what about those people so let's make it the kind of thing that you know requires everybody to be on a war fitting before we do it which we are Rather than rather than doing these kind of trivial types of suggestions, that's. Thank you for your input. Very good ideas. Very good thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Let's run to Rika. Okay. Thank you. I also agree with Axel and Nick. No Russians, please. No now to Finland at all. And. Uh, I don't know what is the problem with Finnish like governmental system now because we have this Allegro train which Finnish state wanted to have working in normal way for months. And uh, I mean, people were really, really pissed off and angry for the government for this. And uh, now we are letting Russians use Finnish uh, system to go everywhere on Schengen area. And people are getting very pissed off with the government with this also. And uh, this can't go on like this. I mean, Finlandization must end. And uh, every member of the parliament who backs up this system, what we have now, so, I mean, can they look at to the mirror? Mm. We, we do have then some members of the parliament and also some MEPs inside the European parliament who have been voting for Russia, Russia back to stems for years 
even decades, and we know these people. Why are they still inside in the Finnish government or members as a parliament members inside the parliament? And why are some prime ministers of us? They have been like working as lobbyists for Russian programs and Russian companies for years. And everybody has been knowing about this, but no one is willing to talk publicly about these things. And we need to be more brave and more open inside, I mean, the system in Finland, because uh, we have been allowing Russians to use us for many decades already. And this just has to be stopped because you know that we have this 1,340 kilometer borderline with Russia. And uh, we did think that by uh, working together and uh, doing business together uh, Russians with Russian companies and setting Fortum to operate via and with Russia inside Finland and also, I mean, buying Uniper from Germany, which is actually Finnish company and which was probably the, the first who decided to pay you with rubles, with Finnish, with uh, Russian rubles, uh, not anymore with dollars or euros for the gas. And uh, I mean, Finnish, it is Finnish state-owned company, Fortum, which owns Uniper. And uh, it's also Finnish state-owned uh, IT company called Sinia, which kind of operates the inter internet cables from Russia to the West. And uh, I mean, if Finnish or European uh or European level, uh, decision would be made so it would be possible to cut out Russian internet totally from West in five minutes about. But these uh, decisions have not been made no matter that Russia has been cutting out gas. Still they can use the internet as they have been for like 30 years about. And uh, I think that we just have to be more open about this because there are so many possibilities that we could still use. And no one will wishes Finland to be the next, next Ukraine where uh, people are being butchered and uh, slaughtered and murdered with no reason, with no public reason. But yeah, I think that we can agree. On, we can easily agree on that, Rika. And I think key in that regard is what, what has been said and what you and I have been discussing and many times we need to provide our Ukrainian friends with as many weapons as we can spare. If we have it, we ship it. If we can make it, we give it. And if it's asked for and we can find it, we arrange for it. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Yuka, uh, thank you very much for being with us. I understand that your battery is running out and we've been now with with each other here for two and a half hours. It has been absolutely splendid. Thank you. Um, both 
Domans and my DMs are flowing over with additional questions. We could go on for hours, but I'm uh, mindful of your time and your tight calendar. I sincerely appreciate that uh, Nico has uh, found a way to you and uh, you have uh, accepted our invitation. It is very much appreciated. We hope to have you back. Thank you. I definitely want to come back if you if you like and uh, continue this discussion and Maybe we can be in contact, for example, next week, someday, or at the weekend, or, sure. or whatever. Perfect. Uh, let's let's set up a date, and we'll con- we can continue this this session. But I have like two percent on my iPhone now. It's gonna <laughs> go, going down any time now, and so maybe okay. Any, anytime you're commuting in your car, feel free to tune in. If you don't want to li- uh, speak, you can listen. But we're happy to have your input and uh, your wisdom any any time thank you thank you yuka so we'll be in touch and then we'll arrange for a date uh, whenever you have time in the next week thank you very much thanks I'll, I'll sign out now excellent thanks.